there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. To pretend that awakening is something that we can do is to intoxicate ourselves with imagination. All this talk about awakening, and it's something that we can't do, but we talk about it all the time. Supposedly, we struggle and strive and effort to awaken, but the truth is, is that we cannot. We can't do that. What happens then? Well, we end up with a mother of a hangover necessitating more imagination to temporarily relieve the symptoms. And that's all they do. That's all imagination does is temporarily relieves the symptoms. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't get to the cause of anything. It just removes the symptoms so that we'll stop looking for the cause. It's the purpose of imagination. And it works well. I got an email the other day. And it said, in part, since the physical body can hold consciousness only in some part of it, and for a short time, and that's it, the essence needs a finer body in order to stay awake. To some people, that may sound like intellectual mumbo-jumbo, but it's exactly what the work teaches. The work teaches that we need to develop a second body. You've heard that. We need to develop a second body. Because this body that we have will not carry us past the physical realm. So we need a second body that can carry us beyond this physical realm. So if you want to continue after this physical realm, you need a second body. Now this gets all weird for people. People get crazy behind this one. They don't understand that you have many bodies. You have an emotional body. You have an intellectual body. You have a mental body. You have a physical body. And you already have these bodies, a body of thought. We're too literal. We're so used to looking out these eyeballs and through these five senses at a world that is only real to these eyeballs and to these five senses. It's not real beyond that. And when I say real, I mean it's not lasting. It is decaying. It is disintegrating right now. Everything around us is disintegrating. Even when it is born, the seed of its disintegration is in it. It is born and it starts to die in that instant. The two things are in the same seed. They're two parts of the seed. That's the way it is. It's going. It's changing constantly. And we're trying to hold on to it. We're trying to make it not change. You get a car or a piece of furniture and you want to try and keep it new. So you wash it, you wax it, you put covers on it, you put it in the garage, you do all these things to try and keep it new. And it is inevitably going to disintegrate. There's nothing you can do about it. But we don't believe that. So we spend all of our time and our energy trying to invent ways to freeze this, to freeze the perfection, that whatever perfection, whatever we have said, this is perfect, to freeze that just the way that is so that it never changes, so that we can have what we want forever. And it doesn't work, but we don't know that because we're asleep. And the idea of awakening is what this whole esoteric teaching is about, but we can't do it. So what's the point then? This email went on to say, there's a need to crystallize consciousness, light, within the physical body using body attention known to you from your meditation. 
inner heat caused by negative emotions and self-recognition. It is hard to explain it with words. In fourth-wave books, it is mentioned only as the second conscious shock in the food diagram. Now, you'll remember that the second conscious shock in the food diagram is the shock that life doesn't give you. It's the shock that you have to give yourself. And it's the shock of self-remembering. That's what it's called, self-remembering. So you have to remember yourself. You have to somehow remember your aim, somehow remember that you're here to awaken. You are here to develop beyond the animal, beyond the physical. That is your purpose. That is your highest purpose. And you're here to do that. Now, there'll be a lot of other things that will unfold as you do that. You'll see a lot of other things that you'll have to do. But that is your main goal, your main purpose, is to become what you could be. You have reached this human level. And you have an opportunity to do something that the cat over there isn't going to be able to do. The cat is always going to look in a mirror and see another cat. Someday you'll be able to look in the mirror and see what's actually there. Someday you will be able to look in the mirror and see yourself. As it is now, when you look in the mirror, you see pictures because you're not awake. But every once in a while, you get a conscious shock and you remember yourself. You look in the mirror and you're startled by what you see. It's as if you're seeing yourself for the first time. All the pictures are gone and you see what's really there. And it's such a shock that you make sure you're not going to do that again. (laughs) Put a piece of paper over the mirror or turn away or do whatever you do or just shake yourself or whatever you do. And then until you can get back to sleep. Because it doesn't fit our pictures. So, you know, I get what the writer's saying, and I understand it, but I understand it at a level really beyond words. The words are not that important to me. How it's said is just not that important anymore. It's like, I've told you before, words are scaffolding. It's scaffolding around an invisible building. It's physical scaffolding around a building of light. And one day you climb the scaffolding and you leap off into the building of light. And it's a leap of faith, literally. And you either get it or you don't. And if you don't, then you climb the scaffolding again and you do it again. And you keep doing it until you get it. Or you don't. You become a salesman of scaffolding. You become a scaffolding artist where you build scaffolding for other people. Or you build scaffolding and then you you charge people an admission to come and see it. Or whatever. You, You get what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything literal. If you want to be literal, you should listen to someone else. Because I'm not going to be literal. This is esoteric truth. You have to be willing to let go of something in order to start to see this. If you're not willing to let go of it, you're not going to see it. If you're not willing to let go of the scaffolding, you're not going to know whether that light is going to support you or not. When you take the leap, you've got to let go of the scaffolding first. And so this work says you need faith. It also says don't just believe everything, verify things. How are you going to verify whether the building of light will hold you if you don't leap into it? And it's going to take faith to verify it. So the two things do work together. And they're not opposites and they're not contradictions. It's our limited, tiny, pea-brain understanding that keeps us from seeing that it's not an opposite. It's not a contradiction. We've got to get beyond the physical world of the five senses where we're trapped in illusion. Forming the second body is a big aim. It's a huge aim. How do you do that? Well, little bites. Remember we used to say you can eat a whole elephant one bite at a time? Little bites. You can eat a mountain one spoonful at a time. Oh, but that'll take too long. Right. Okay. So what? You got some important stuff to do, right? You got to go polish your car. What? You got to go take a walk so that next time you look in the mirror, you see what you want to see instead of what you don't want to (laughs) see. 
what, what is the big important thing you've got to do? What is so important that it's going to keep you from what your purpose on this planet is? Your purpose on this planet is not to amass wealth. Your purpose on this planet is not to put notches in your bedpost. Your purpose on this planet is not all of the things that you have squandered your life on. It's not those things. It's not your reputation. It's not what other people think of you. It's not how good you feel. It's not how good you look. It's none of those things. Your purpose is to reach into a realm that is not reachable if you stay rooted in the physical. At the same time, you reach it only by being rooted in the physical. So there's the contradiction again. But it's not a contradiction. The fact that you have this body gives you the advantage of being able to reach into a place. It's like being tall. Well, you're tall. So that means that you can reach things that you couldn't reach when you were short. So you're in a body that you can reach things that you couldn't reach if you were short. So what do we do about that? It's much easier to talk about and imagine than it is to actually do it. Which is why people talk about it and imagine it all the time. There are groups everywhere. This world is filled with teachers, gurus, masters, saints, people who are telling everybody how to do this. But who's doing it? Hardly anyone. Why is that? Well, because it's a lot easier to talk about it and imagine that we're doing it than it is to actually do it. The work recognizes this. And any serious esoteric path recognizes this. It's easier to talk about than it is to do. This is one of the pitfalls of it. So we will end up talking about it instead of doing it. Recognition isn't enough. Unfortunately, there's only one path out of this, and it's not very appealing compared with the other paths that don't lead out of this. The circular paths that lead back around to this, again, are very pleasing. You can have your cake and eat it too. If you pray, you can grow rich. There are books, Pray and Grow Rich. These are the paths that don't lead out of this. It's perfect for people who don't want to get out of this. So all of those paths are for all those people who don't want to get out of this. Unfortunately, there are some people who do want to escape who get snared in those traps, in those paths. I'm not saying any of those paths are wrong. None of them are wrong. They're wonderful. If you like merry-go-rounds, then ride them. There's nothing wrong with that. If you like Ferris wheels, then ride them. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want an amusement park instead of a place to work, then life will be that for you. You can just go from one joyride to another joyride. Every once in a while, something breaks, someone gets hurt, somebody falls off, you know, and then you have the big tragedy. But then that's a wonderful drama, too. And you get to tell all your friends and you get to read about it in the paper and see it on the news. And it's another joyride without the Ferris wheel, without the merry-go-round. But it's still doing the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? The drama is nothing but a a merry-go-round. It's nothing but a Ferris wheel. It's nothing but a wild teacup thing or or whatever. All these things seem to be circular. Have you noticed that? They all have a beginning, then they go and then they come back and they're at the end. And then you have to do it again to get the thrill again. And your whole life is spent getting the thrill again, trying to get the thrill again. And it's not there. But because you're human and not a rat, you're not smart enough to see that it's not there. Because it was there once, you believe that it could be there this time. So you're willing to go do it again. But a rat, once it sees that it's not there, it doesn't go back. It'll go back a couple times and then it's over. But we never stop going back. The ramifications of that, when you first see it, it's like you smile. and Oh, yeah. But then when you really begin to see what you've done with your life, you start to cry. 
It's like, oh my God, I keep going back and it keeps not being there. But I want it to be there. Yes, and that's the problem. I want it to be there. So therefore, I believe it's there. I imagine it's there. And I keep going back and I keep, I keep being stuck on that track round and round and round. What really are these other paths? There's some form of the pleasant path. And the pleasant path is the one, like I said, you have your cake and eat it too. You can have this and have that. <laughs> I don't even want to go into all of the examples that I have about us and how many times we've done that. Well, can I do this and have that too? I had somebody ask me that one time. In fact, he brought it up yesterday, but we won't go into detail. But he brought it up yesterday. Wanted to know why we didn't throw him a party when he did that. But he, he literally said, well, can I have this and that? And I said, well, yeah, sure you can. But what will happen is you will lose one. And the one that you will lose is the one that will be the valuable one. And that's the way it works. Fortunately, he took me at my word and he chose a better path. But it's not always that way. Sometimes the pleasant path is so appealing that we're willing to give up the unpleasant path for it. <laughs> I know that I shouldn't be calling this the unpleasant path, but it is. This path is full of rocks and thorns and nasty little pitfalls. It is difficult. This is a very difficult path. And if anyone has told you otherwise, they are lying to you. It may not be difficult for them, but I promise you it's going to be for you. It may not be difficult for somebody who has been over this path a hundred times and who's an expert on this path and knows every bit about it. They may know how to avoid every pitfall, but you don't. Now, if they're carrying you for some of the way, then it's going to be easier. If they're guiding you for some of the way, it's going to be easier. But still, it's not going to be any bed of roses. And even a bed of roses has got thorns. The pleasant path is what appeals to our lower nature, our identification with and through the five senses. The pleasant paths mix the truth with this pleasant idea, this identification with things. And it makes the poison sweet. What happens when we take the sweetened poison? We fall asleep and die. So little bites begin here, right at this point that I'm going to tell you now. You can live life consciously or mechanically. This is the very first step. But first you have to see that you are living life mechanically because right now you imagine that you're living life consciously and you don't really think you imagine it. You think you know it. You think you are absolutely awake and there is no reason to awaken. There's no reason to wake up because you're already awake. The only thing you have to do is make sure you don't fall asleep again. And when you do, that you awaken again. That's what you think. You think that you are awake and that you have been asleep, but that you're awake now. But then when you fall back asleep, you think that you'll wake up again. It's like when you realized you didn't have your computer. You had to have realized the first thing you think is, well, I'm awake, therefore someone stole it, right? First thing, I'm awake, therefore someone stole it. And then doubt starts to creep in. And you think, well, maybe I fell asleep and left it somewhere. <laughs> and then someone calls you on the phone and says, we found your computer in the middle of the road or wherever, you know. And then you realize you left it on the top of your car and drove away in total sleep. And you have to admit, I was asleep. Or you don't. You don't have to admit it. You can justify it and say, well, if it hadn't been for that kid of mine making all that noise, I would have remembered it. He distracted me and it's his fault. Or if it hadn't been for the emergency or if it hadn't been for this, if it hadn't been for that. All the lies, anything, anything that will help us to stay asleep. Anything that will avoid the realization that I am not awake. I just think that I am. It's a very painful thing for us. 
because our ego is so totally, completely involved with this idea that it is in charge, it is awake, it is running everything, and if anything gets out of its control, it's because of other evil people, or evil God, or evil something. Apparent contradiction is that we must be led out of this, yet we have to still walk out. There's no way out without help, is what we're told. You can't escape prison without help. You have to have somebody from outside who's already gotten out to help you to get out. There's no other way to get out. First of all, we don't like that. We think that we can. And we even think, well, they got out without help. Somebody got out without help. So therefore, it's possible for me to get out without help. And I may not know, but I'm going to figure it out. That's all ego. That's all the prison guard telling you sweet lies. That's all part of the pleasant path. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. No, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do. What do you mean I can't do? Well, if you're asleep, you can't do. Well, I'm not asleep. So there we are again. So now we can do. Why can we do? Well, because we're awake. But the work tells us we can't do because we're not awake. But we say, well, the work doesn't really know us. And what I say is, no, we don't really know the work. To do something consciously means to do it not identified. The same thing done mechanically means doing that thing identified. The thing does you, not you do the thing. Like, (laughs) Like how you got here this morning. You think you drove here, but that's not true. You got here this morning, or, well, Diana didn't. Diana and Jess didn't drive here. But those of us who did, we think we drove here. But that's not how it went. How it went was the car drove us here, and we just didn't get in an accident along the way. That's how it went. How it went was nothing prevented us in our mechanical days that brought us here. For example, we get to the stop sign down the road, and I go, oh, and Connie goes, what? And I point, and it's a big barrier there, road closed. She says, now what do we do? And I said, well, <laughs> I laughed. I said, well, go left, and then go right, and then get to the light and go right. Go down the road. We're going, and I'm laughing and saying, well, you're really funny. Now what do we do? She said, well, I knew to do this. I said, oh, well, then why were you asking me now what? She didn't believe the road was really closed. That was the bottom line. Well, there's a barrier there and a sign there that says road closed. But she didn't believe the road was really closed. She thought it was just a trick. So we get to the other side of the road and she looks down and there's a barrier on the other side. She goes, okay, the road's really closed. And that's us. We're just not going to believe anything. We're suspicious about everything. We can't take anything at face value. We're always trying to figure out everything. We're like, oh, we're going to scheme and plan and go around and make it happen the way I want it to happen. Look, I always go this way. So this road can't be closed. It was a beautiful example of just how we are. This takes place 99% of the time in our lives. We are mechanical 99% of the time in our lives. I'm making that up. Is it 99%? I don't know. Maybe it's 110%. I don't know. Maybe it's only 3%. What does it matter? This isn't about math. You know, I'm not very good at math. So this isn't about math. This is not, that's not my strong subject. So when I give you a number for something, check it. (laughs) You know, if I say there are four states of consciousness, check it, find out, verify that. What are the four states of consciousness? Are there four states of consciousness? Oh, I got that one right. What do you know? So there's sleep on the bed. There's waking sleep, what we're in right now. We're we're really asleep, but the moving center is active. So we can drive our cars and walk around and make love and fight with each other and kill each other and, well, just do business and build bridges and buildings and make the whole world. There's this whole insane mess that is such a happy, wonderful, peaceful place with millions of people starving to death, with millions of people dying of horrible diseases, and with the rest, the ones who are healthy, out there hacking each other up with machetes or shooting each other with guns or planning ways to blow each other up or burn each other alive. 
Cool. That's our idea of a wonderful world. Oh, no, the world's not like that. It's just parts of the world like that. And that just happens every once in a while. No, that is the paragraph. The peace is the punctuation. The joy is the punctuation. It's the commas. It's the periods. It's the semicolons. It's the colons. It's the exclamation points. That's the truth about the joy and the peace. The rest is this misery that we just keep on saying, well, it's not happening to me, so therefore it's not happening. I'm not aware of it, you know, so if I close my eyes and put my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 it's all fine. But it's not. And we don't want to look at that. We don't want to face that. And then when we do face it, we want our lives to be only about that. And what do we want to do? We want to fix it. And how are we going to fix it? We're going to make all those other people stop doing what they're doing and start doing what we think they should do. Which, of course, just adds to the head-cracking scenario. Because eventually what that leads to is forcing them to do it. And it doesn't work. You can't understand this work and leave it at that. See, people think, oh, I understand now. No, you don't. You have to re-understand. Okay, so last week I talked about, do you remember when you thought you knew what self-observation was, but now you look back at the self-observation that you thought you knew and you see that that wasn't it? Well, guess what? The self-observation that you think you know now isn't it either. Well, then what is it? And see, and that's the mind again. Well, hurry up and tell me what it is. Why? Well, so that I don't have to think about it anymore and I can go back to sleep. <laughs> you don't have to think about it. All you have to do is do it, except that you can't do it. This work has to be re-understood again and again, like climbing a flight of stairs. Well, I, I, I climbed the stairs already. <laughs> okay, how'd you end up back down here? Well, I came back down. Well, then if you want to get back up there, you're going to have to climb the stairs again. But I already climbed the stairs once. Why do I have to do it again? Because that's the way it works. Maurice Nicole said about, well, he didn't say about climbing the flight of stairs. I said that. But he said about this work being understood and re-understood again and again. We re-understand it until the work stands upright in one's being like a tree and brings everything into right order and relation and so into harmony. Let me remind you of other talks that we've had in the past couple of weeks or month or whatever. I don't really remember. Math is not my strong subject, so I don't know when. I said these things, but I remember saying that we're like a ladder, and I referenced Jacob's ladder that was planted on the earth, but then reached into heaven with the angels of God descending, ascending, and descending the ladder. Remember that? And I said, we are like that. Your body is like a ladder, and it is here rooted in the five senses in this physical world, but then it reaches up to the sky or to heaven, whatever you want to call it, the sky, heaven. It all means the same thing. It's this spacious, open consciousness, this open-ended, infinite consciousness that is different than everything being finite down here in the five senses that we like, finite. We like, I have a cup of this, I have so much of that, I have this, you don't have that. This is where we can be separate. This is where we can make a cup of this. This is where we can separate a cup off from all the rest of it. So this is mine. It's not yours. This is mine. So down here, we like this. We like this whole idea of mine. We don't like that idea of spaciousness and everything belongs to everybody. We don't like that. We don't want anything to do with that. And what this work says is that that person that's saying that is not really you. That person that's saying that, that is so I co completely identified with all this here, is not really you. That you belong to the sky that you come from the sky, that you come from above, that your essential self is made of that substance, that light, that love, that spaciousness, and that you, your essential self, will never truly be happy until you return to your source. And that this other thing that has its source right here, that is of the earth, it is not you. It is the vehicle that you've been driving around, but that it got the idea that it was you, and you forgot 
that you were you and your sense of self slipped into this thing that you're driving around. Some people are not their cars. And some people, if you hit their car with a hammer, they're their car. They'll kill you. You see girlfriends who'll throw paint on their boyfriend's car, smash the windshield or put lipstick on it or do whatever because he did something they didn't want him to do. And you'll see these things on the Internet. The women love to send these email things around about how, you know, she got him back. And um, I look at that and I go, well, there's a little hostility there, you know. I think maybe, maybe you might want to let that one go. But you can't, you know, you can't let it go until you can. As long as you've got that hostility inside of you, it's got to come out somehow. As long as you, you, you've got those accounts, as long as you've got that resentment, somehow it's going to come out. And it may come out in the humor of, oh, look at that. She did this or she did that. Ha, ha, ha. Isn't that funny? No, no, it's not funny. Well, but he deserved it. No, he didn't deserve it. Well, she was right. No, she wasn't right. Well, he was right when he did this. Well, he was wrong when he did that. No, none of those things are true. We don't know anything about the truth. The truth isn't about down here. Down here is all about laws. Down here where we are, it's all about the action of laws outworking. It's all about marbles bouncing into other marbles, dominoes falling over. It's all mathematical. But math's never been my big thing, so I don't really pay much attention to it. I just don't want to be caught in its wheels. I don't want to be caught in its mechanism. I don't want to be dragged around by it. And so I keep on pointing up. I keep on saying, look, I know it looks good now, but look up. That's where your salvation is. It's not here. It's up there. So here we are, planted in the five senses, but reaching upward toward the sky. Imagination causes us to attempt what we can't do. And then it tells us that we did it and keeps us asleep. Imagination will tell you, oh, you can be anything. And the whole world agrees. Your mother told you, you can be anything. Everybody's telling you, you can be president. You could do this. You could do that. In America, it's the land of freedom. You can be anything. No, you can't. Yes, you can. You can even have sex change operations now. And if you don't like your face, you can get a new face. And if you don't like your your fat, you can have it sucked out. And if you don't like this and if you don't like that, then you can have implants and then you can have this. No, you can't. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about. But you don't believe me, even though I tell you the truth. Because you want something more than the truth. And that's why you don't believe the truth when you hear it. I'm not saying I'm anybody special. Any idiot can tell the truth. A parrot can tell the truth. I can train my parrot to tell the truth. That's not the point, is it? The point is, can you recognize the truth and can you allow it to alter your behavior in the now? That's the point. And the truth about that is, no, you can't. Not all at once. You're not going to build a second body today. Just get this straight. It's going to take time and it's going to take effort. And it's going to take more effort than you're willing to make right now. But that's okay because you don't have to make all the effort right now. If you make all the effort right now, you won't have any effort left for anything else. You make the effort you can make right now, and then you make the effort that you can make then. But you take each bit one little bite at a time and learn patience and perseverance because on this path, those two things are indispensable. Patience and perseverance. If you don't have the two Ps, you're not going to complete this path. Why does life wish to keep us asleep? We're easier to eat that way. That's why. Our body identification keeps us asleep. We have identified ourselves with this physical thing and forgotten our origin and our purpose. To be reminded is painful. And the pain is commensurate with our desire for the world. You in pain? Let go of the world. You in pain? Let go of what you're hanging on to. You suffering? Let go of whatever it is you're clinging to. But then I won't have it. You don't have it now, you idiot. That's why you're suffering. But I'm going to get it if I keep on trying. No, you're not. 
And if you do, it's going to turn to dust. It'll turn to dust in your hands. It'll turn to dust in your mouth. It'll turn to dust right before your eyes. It will turn to dust. It's inevitable. Everything here does. Everything goes back to atomic dust. Everything comes from atomic dust here. Everything goes back to atomic dust here. It's what's going to happen. We're born into this physical plane with a part to play. Falling asleep, we forget that. Through identification, we then become the part. I'm a teacher. I'm an electrician. I'm retired. I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm a heterosexual. I'm a homosexual. I'm a white. I'm an Afro-American. I'm an American Indian. All identification, all separate, all lies. All classifications of the mind that keeps you locked in prison. And we cling to them. As long as we remain asleep, we're stuck in the part, playing it day after day after day, just as if we were the part. To begin to take your life consciously is one way of beginning to awaken. It's one little bite that can and must be taken many, many times. You must live your life consciously. Right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. How many right nows are there in a day? How many right nows are there in 24 hours? Oh, my God. A lot. See, I'm not a math guy, so I don't know how many right nows there are. I'm sure somebody would figure it out. But that's all lie, too. The rope that reaches into eternity, that hangs into the right now, doesn't know anything about right now. All it knows is eternity. When you grab that rope, right now has nothing to do with anything. Right now is eternity. And as long as you hold on to that rope, right now is all there is because right now is eternity. But that may be mumbo-jumbo to you right now. And if it is, then just don't worry about it. Just let it go. When you don't go with a negative emotion, there's a loss on one side and a gain on the other. The mechanical side loses and the conscious side gains. If you're going to take this mountain and remove it one spoonful at a time, you can have a teaspoon or a tablespoon, depending on your appetite, where are you going to put each teaspoon or tablespoon that you shovel out of that mountain? Well, you're going to have to put it over there. So you move it from one side to the other side. And that's really what we're doing. We're taking away from the mechanical side and giving to the conscious side. We're taking away from the life side, from the sense side, from the world side. And as it loses force, the conscious side, the spiritual side, gains. You take away from the false side, the false personality, the acquired self, the mechanical man. And every time you take it away, it feeds the conscious side. It doesn't go nowhere. It is used by the conscious side. So you don't even have to stop the mechanical. All you have to do is see it. That in and of itself begins to add to the conscious side. Can you see that when you see something, when you become conscious of it, it adds to your conscious side? All you have to do is see it. So people say, oh, it's, there's so much against us, it's so hard. Well, it's only hard because you imagine it's hard and because you want it now and because you're working for results. Stop working for results. Work for the joy of working. Well, but there's no joy in working right now. Well, that's okay. Then work for the joy of working until the joy comes back. Because it will. It will come around again, I promise you. Well, you already know this, because it has come around again. You know, sometimes there's just a dry spot on the wheel. It's like if you went through gravel or mud or something in your car, and you drive down the road and you hear this, or this, this thump, 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 as, you're, as it runs around and hits that part. Or maybe you've got a nail in your tire. And that's just how it is. It's going to come around again. Don't worry about it. When we begin to understand the aim of this work practically, then we begin to eat the elephant. Until then, we think about it, we talk about it, we imagine it. But when we really start to understand the aim of this work, it's to get you out of here. Well, I've seen this happen so many times. People begin to understand the aim of this work is to get them out of here. And they leave. They go, well, screw that. I don't want to get out of here. I like it here. 
And then they're, they're gone. And it's like, well, great. Then the work has done its job. It's brought you to the moment of decision. And you made your decision. Your decision was, I like to be asleep. I like what the world is offering me. This is what I want. There are things I have to do. Okay, then do them. If you're smart, you can do them and do the work. If you're not smart, you think that you just have to do them and forget about the work. You'll find that mostly in the young. But as people get older, they realize they can do both. And I encourage you to do both. You know, if you feel like there are things you still have to do on this planet, great. Maybe you do. Then do them. But don't give up the work. Don't give up working consciously. If you're going to do those things, do them consciously. Don't do them mechanically. Do them in the light. If you're going to be a bank robber, be a conscious bank robber. Am I saying that you should be a bank robber? No. No, I don't think it's a good idea to steal. I don't want the karmic debt that that incurs. I don't like the merry-go-round. I don't want to go around again. But if you don't have a problem with it, okay, then at least do it consciously. What will that do? Hopefully, we'll add something to the conscious side of you, and that side of you will gain force, and the mechanical side of you will lose force. And if that happens enough, who knows? You could wake up a little and see what you're doing to yourself. Wake up enough to stop hurting yourself. Stop multiplying your misery. When you gain force on the conscious side, you're taking your life consciously instead of mechanically, as everyone else on this planet is doing, as we're doing most of the time. There's no need to leave life physically to live more consciously. This can be done in life, and we are in life. And honestly, we're much deeper into life than we think we are. <laughs> we're really in life. It's not what happens to you in life that matters, but how you take what happens. Judging a man's life by what happens to him is ignorance. I told Connie this morning, I'm going to be sick for a couple of days. And she said, when? And I said, in a couple of days. And she said, well, what kind of sick? And I said, well, I don't know, but I'm going to be sick. And she said, well, you know, you don't get out that much. So I, I don't think you get exposed to a lot of germy things. And I said, it's not about germs. She said, well, what's it about? I said, it's about what I've been through in the past few weeks. There are reactions to everything. You know, when you go through stress, you go through difficult times, you make a breakthrough of any kind, it has an effect on everything. Your body is a physical thing. It's going to wear out. We're wearing them out. But you don't get sick much. No, I don't, but I'm going to be sick. Well, how do you know? I've lived in this body for 62 years. I haven't lived in this body consciously for 62 years, but I have begun to live in it consciously. And when you begin to live in it consciously, you become, oh, here comes the big shock, conscious of what's going on in it. And it's like you can feel the cells doing what they do. You can feel the energies moving. You can feel things gathering. You can feel things blocked. You can feel things backing up. You can feel these things. And when you feel them, you know what it means. It means this is what we call being sick. In other words, I was sick mentally and spiritually. And that blockage mentally and spiritually was cleared up and balanced. Now, there's this physical thing that has to follow it. And so, it's going to follow it. It's going to do that. Okay. That's this kind of sickness. There are other kinds of sickness where you're sick spiritually and your body is then knocking on your door and saying, okay, you need to deal with this. And your body is telling you to deal with this. But then there's the other end where it's already done and now your body catches up. So, sometimes it's ahead, sometimes it's behind. And of course, we usually don't know which or anything about it. People take life and their reactions to life as the same thing. People think the only way to react to something is the way they reacted to it. <laughs> How could I react any other way? What do you mean? How else could I take it? He said this, that was an insult, and I said this, and I was hurt. Well, there's another way to take that. 
No, there's not. What are you talking about? Yes, there is. If life is your neutralizing force, there's no other way to take that. If this work is your neutralizing force, there's another way to take that. Well, that person just called me mean names and just spewed vile, horrible stuff at me. And I was really hurt and upset. Yeah, well, that's right. That's what you always do. That's the mechanical reaction. Well, that person just spewed a bunch of vile, horrible stuff at me. Well, that person's losing their life. That person's in the throes of death. That person is raging against life itself, raging against life for not giving it what it wanted. And you're just in the way. You're just standing there. You're just getting splashed. That's all. It has nothing to do with you. It's not personal. But that person used my name. <laughs> Don't pay any attention to that. That's death throes. That's just death throes. So there's a different way to hold it. There's a different way to look at it. Now you can have some compassion for this person while they're thrashing about. Now you know how to pray for them. Now you know how to be comforting to them. Now you know how to be empathetic, loving. Now you know what they're going through. Now you can give them some space to go through it without having to add to their karmic debt by getting offended by what they have said unconsciously. It's these mechanical reactions in ourselves that must be eaten one little bite at a time. The method is non-identifying and the rest of what this work teaches. It's not just non-identifying. This work teaches a lot of things because it takes a lot. The events mean nothing. It's how we take them that is the field of our work to become less mechanical, less physical, less rooted to the bottom of the ladder and more involved with the top of the ladder, less underground with the roots of the tree and more up in the branches and the leaves where the birds are nesting. People hear this and want to know how they'll know what their part in life is. Well, you're just playing a part in life. Well, how will I know what my part is? All that happens to you is your part. Whoa, wait a second. I don't think I like that part. <laughs> I understand. Now take it consciously. What does that mean, take it consciously? Open your eyes. Say, this is the part that I'm playing. I'm going to play this part consciously. I don't have to like it to play it. I also don't have to be in the death throes of kicking and screaming just because this character in this part, it's his scene to die. So it's his death scene. Well, play the death scene. That's all. Just play the death scene. Okay, it's time to give up this part, walk off the stage. But that's my stage. <laughs> Let it go. You can see the identification. Do it consciously. Take everything that comes to you as work. Remember yourself and try not to identify. Whatever comes to you. Well, I have a headache. Good, take that as work. Have your headache consciously. Like I told Connie this morning, I'm going to be sick for a few days. What do you mean you're going to be sick? Just what I said. I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be wide awake sick. Okay. Wasn't that self-fulfilling prophecy? If you say so. I'm not here to argue about it. What's so is what's so. Play the part. So can you play the part of somebody being sick for a few days? Yes, I can play that part. But I don't want to. I like the part where the guy is always happy and and rich and healthy and feels good and has lots of everything. <laughs> well, that can get boring too. If you don't believe me, ask the people who are playing those parts. In fact, don't ask them. Just look at their lives. Just look at the parts they're playing. Look at the misery. Stop thinking it's someone's fault. Stop hating what comes to you. Stop thinking life is supposed to be wonderful and you'll stop so much mechanical fretting that feeds the life side. Stop those things. Just stop it. Stop thinking it's somebody else's fault. Stop kicking against the goads. Stop thinking it should be the way you thought it should be. Stop thinking that somebody should have been there when they weren't. Stop it. Stop that. That's what this all means. Just stop it. Stop your little, petty, stupid, ignorant tantrums. Stop whining, blowing, puffing, huffing, stomping, slamming, 
When you don't get what you want, stop it. If you don't stop it, you're going to continue to live this stupid, mechanical, merry-go-round life where you can stop it. And the only time to stop it is right now. You can't stop what you did then, but by stopping what you do right now, it can repair what you did then. How? None of your business. There's always second force opposing what you want. That's what this life is. Things won't go as you think they should. You are not entitled to happiness because you were born in hell. Look, you were born into this. It's all falling apart all around you. It's not going to last. Even your body is not going to last. You were given a piece of equipment that has an expiration date stamped right on the bottom. Don't anybody look now. But there is an expiration date. You don't know when it is. But there is an expiration date. And you will expire. Now, the question is, will you have gotten all that you can get from this experience by the time that expiration date comes up? You have the right not to be negative. But you must exercise that right. It's not just going to fly out of your ear. It's a nice way to put it, wasn't it? So that's what I mean by little bites. Little bites means right now, right now, right now. Start doing this. Start living consciously right now. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.